district, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing. On all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex? Send the homie a text? That trash offers the best? You try to make it complex? Then they text you back, now all of a sudden they don't make any sense? <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Bait them. Fish. What is up, Fantasyland? Welcome back to the district. I'm back from being uh, two weeks away with the fam overseas. Had an awesome trip in Portugal. If you ever have a chance, strong recommend uh, to check to check that out. Uh, Dan is still out there. He's uh, he manages to get his his daughters out with him in the in the boons. Uh, they're canoeing somewhere north of the border uh, up here. And uh, Theo just had some uh, some outside uh, distractions uh, with the fam that he couldn't make it. So uh, thoughts out to him. Thought, shout out to the chat. I know you guys are anxious to throw your questions in, your chats in. We got an awesome guest tonight. We started doing these one-on-one uh, press coverage, as we call them. And uh, tonight's our second installment. And he's no stranger to the district. You've seen him on here before. You've seen him out there in the DLF streets. You've seen him out there on Dynasty and Chill. He's Scott Connor. Welcome back to the district, brother. JD, thanks for having me back. Nice to have a one-on-one. You, you approached me with a one-on-one dynasty session and really like any topics that we can get to. We have a bunch of stuff going. So glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me back, my friend. Glad to have you. Uh, you've become, I think I pick up like one to three, you know, new good sources uh, in, in what we call the off season and your show just dynasty and chill definitely got me hooked uh, from the first get for those who don't know, and maybe are newer to the district, our roots is dynasty. That's, that's how this whole thing started. We're like 500 plus shows into this thing, uh, half out there in, in, in the podcast world and then half on the YouTube, but uh, no, man, I, I, when we had the opportunity uh, to have you on and, and maybe dive a little deeper, maybe spend a little more time on questions, I thought, uh, you know, who better than than Scott, as uh, 1912 puts it, Scott is a dynasty machine. And that's what we're going to do tonight, man. We're going to we're going to dive deep into dynasty. Uh, you know, we talked about before we came on, the NFL loves to throw us a little curveball to make uh, the show a little spicy and for us to get a little off track. But before we do. I want to remind the people, five-time FFPC main event champ, high-stakes beast, not just Dynasty and Chill, uh, a voice that you know him by, but this man plays uh, deep in the Dynasty streets. Remind the people where they can find all your goodness, because you do drop a lot of content, some good content. Uh, make sure you're following ch- at Charles Chill FFB. And uh, Scott, remind them uh, where else they can find your goodness. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. At Charles Chill FFB, I, I do write and do YouTube and podcasting for DLF on Mannequin Chill. Uh, you already mentioned Dynasty and Chill. That's my flagship podcast. That's basically just, I control it. Yeah, I invite who I want to come on. I talk about what I want to talk about. 
Nobody tells me when or what I have to do. Uh, so that's kind of where my roots are. Uh, I also have a new show that just started up on Destination Devi called America's Game. Uh, there's going to be some Devi, some college football in there, but a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is just real, like, in-the-weeds Dynasty stuff. So if you like Dynasty and Chill, it's going to be that. And I, I did agree to take on that show because uh, one of my best friends in the space, Eric Vanix, just getting started uh, in the podcast space. Uh, but I've known him for over 30 years. We've kind of grown up together playing fantasy football. Uh, and he's as big into Dynasty as me. And he wanted to do a podcast. And he's like, hey, will you co-host it with me? And I'm like, sure. So check that out on Destination Debbie's feed. Uh, and then I got to give a shout out to my high stakes fantasy co-manager, partner, whatever you want to call it, Jay Reed. Uh, you mentioned five-time five, five, five time FFPC main event. We, we do play a lot of high stakes too. And that's, I think there, there's not a lot of folks like us that are playing Dynasty and also playing high stakes and doing it you know, at the same time. And it, it's a lot, but I got to give a shout out to him. Our, our team is chasing the helmet. Uh, we did have a podcast. We discontinued it just for, I think, honestly, it becomes a competitive disadvantage when other people are listening to it. You know, especially when we're doing, we're streaming all of our drafts and whatnot. Uh, but I'm pumped up for the high stakes season, which is really just starting to kick off. You know, we're going to be in Vegas. Uh, I'm doing the, uh, the bare knuckle challenge myself this year. Uh, we're doing seven main events. We're doing a bunch of other drafts in August in uh, FFPC in Kentucky. Uh, so Jay Reed and our team is at Chase the Helmet. So follow that. Give it a follow. Reach out to us uh, if you're interested in FFPC and high stakes as well. So uh, I think that covers everything. But if there's anything else, we'll, I'll try to find a way to drop it in the show. For sure, man. And drop it anytime. And uh, I, I think that is definitely something that separates. I know that's something that we try to do is we bring in people that, you know, obviously the analytics are there, but they also play in the high stakes streets and they, they put in the volume and the time uh, you know, out there in the streets, trading dynasty waivers, you know, all of, all of the dirty work that comes with it, uh, around the analytics always gives a little more, um, you know, juice to, to what you're saying. And, and I think that's why we appreciate your analytics. It goes at different levels. You're, you're out there, you know, in the college streets, which, which, uh, I, I dip my toes very rarely. Uh, I wait till they get to the big league, but, uh, no, man, I, I love what you're doing. Keep expanding it. We're, we're happy to check out, uh, the new show. Guys, uh, our partners, FFPC, Underdog, make sure you check them out, Viridian Global. We'll, we'll tell you guys uh, as we get deeper in the show how you guys can get some free money up to 100 bucks. We talk about the NFL throwing curveballs. We're going to go into um, you know training camp now, but today a pretty pretty good nugget, I think, this time of year. Good size nugget, uh, whether you're, you're thinking dynasty or redraft or, or your best ball drafts right now. But Julio going to the Bucks. We started a little bit off screen uh, you know, talking about it. What are your thoughts on it? Were you drafting uh, these other uh, bucks? Were you drafting the Julios later in your, your, your drafts, whether it was best ball or redraft and how does it affect your portfolio? Um, and maybe, maybe let, let the peeps know where the opportunity, the little nugget could be behind this right now. Yeah. I mean, this kind of came out of nowhere, but you know, we've been waiting all off season for some of these free agent receivers to sign. And I think it, it made sense that the Buccaneers went after one of them. Uh, it's interesting that it's Julio, but I also think if there was probably a best spot for him, this is probably one of them because I'm big. I think we talked about it the last time I was on Goat District. We talked about quarterback efficiency, and I think that's what's going to drive Julio into this range where he's even usable in moderate depth dynasty leagues. 
let alone, you know, you're picking him in best ball. You're obviously hoping that his price over the summer before he was on a team is going to be an advantage with your roster build compared to everyone else that's now going to draft him a couple rounds later. You know, especially these tournaments that are ongoing, like football guys, it's ongoing all throughout the summer. So now you have to kind of sit and ask yourself, you know, obviously there's a goal of winning your individual league, but then there's also a goal of trying to finish, you know, inside the top 10, top 20, top 50, you know, wherever the money is. And I think you always have to think about that when you're playing in anything that has a large size or when there's a lot of teams is, do I even want to bother now? Or what is the, what is the pivot move once I know he's on Tampa Bay? And honestly, if I've taken him in some leagues, I can't say I was really high on him. I ended up taking him in the pros versus Joes, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. But immediately he's going to probably end up going five, six, seven rounds higher now. And so you have to think like, how do I want to play that? You know, do I even want to bother taking him, especially if I have exposure to him in other places? And it, it literally says it's the same in Dynasty too. Like if you're doing a a startup draft now, is it does it make sense to take him? Probably not. In fact, it probably makes sense to sell him just because you've you've got a profit already locked in on it. And if he produces, he's one of those receivers where it's like, I think we're probably hoping to get half a season out of, you know, and then if you just talk about is he in your lineup more than a couple times throughout that period? I think that's probably best case scenario, but I could be wrong. But he's just like definitely one of those guys, if you already have exposure to him, I'm not chasing any more exposure because I think there's still a lot of risk that comes with it. And then there's also the the wild card of Gronk coming back, Godwin coming back. You know, like you're not really sure what his role is going to be into the midseason. So I, I think that the biggest takeaway is just don't, you're going to want to draft Julio Jones. You're going to have visions of like, oh man, we could see even a four game stretch of what he was five years ago. But my, my advice would just be almost lock it in and get out and take the exposure that you have, especially if you're in one of these tournaments where there's a lot of teams because his ADP is going to go up. I don't even know where he's been going, you know, the, as of like he's only been signed for like eight hours, but I don't know where he's even been going if we have any data on where he's been going, but just doesn't make sense to take him anymore in my opinion. Yeah, I'm trying to, I've got a, from a fantasy mojo, I've got like the $35 super flex best ball. He was going in the 18th. So, you know, you take like a couple rounds uh, early or yeah, earlier, you know, without the super flex aspect. So one QB is probably going 15, 16, and then he's going, he was going 18 around 18, 19. So probably going to move up, like you said, 12, 13 ish, 12, 14 ish. Maybe, maybe higher, honestly, maybe higher. too. Yeah, depending on these drafts are always weird, depending on because uh, we've done quite a few football guys drafts. And it really is this year. It's been it's been interesting with the quarterbacks because it, it bleeds over into dynasty, too. But the quarterbacks, it, this is the deepest I can remember quarterbacks to where, especially with the Deshaun Watson wild card sitting out there as well. Like this is kind of the deepest. I remember quarterbacks being where you can wait until QB 11, 12, 13, and you kind of feel like you're not losing a whole lot. You know, I've seen some drafts where someone will reach and take Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes in the, the fifth round or late fourth round. And then you can get Deshaun Watson and Matt Stafford in like round 11 and round 13. And I mean, I'm not a huge fan of taking two quarterbacks, but in a build like that, I'm like, man, it, in years past, it felt like you were almost, if you're waiting that long, you're to the point where you have to take two and you hope that you play the matchups correctly with your platoon. And this year, you know, especially going into Vegas, I'm, I'm almost, 
I want exposure to some of the other quarterbacks, but it doesn't feel like the last few years where if you wanted that elite quarterback, you needed to take them a little bit higher than traditionally. Uh, and this is just a, another example of wherever they fall in the drafts, it, it's going to depend on, you know, where they go. They could start going in round seven, round eight, or they could fall to round 11, round 12. And then you're going to see the receivers mix in there either before or after. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the, the theory that the QB tiers are thicker, you know what I mean? Like you still have that elite tier, sure. but you've got more up there now. And then you go into that, that next tier, you've got all these young guys and you know, that's something that I wanted to touch on with you. Cause it's something I try to ask each guest. Maybe I don't, uh, you know, verbalize it properly, but the fascinating thing with me in dynasty is when are you selling the news? When are you selling the hype? You know, when, uh, when has that piece gained value for you to move it? When does it make sense for you to optimize moving these pieces as they fluctuate in value? And, you know, perfect example. I mean, something like Julio, you draft him super late when he's, you know, still a free agent. You hope that that ADP increases right in the off season. Love when my wife has to print, you know, when I'm, when I'm recording, but it's all good. Hopefully that doesn't, it's not too loud uh, for you guys. Um, but yeah, that's always something I ask. And I think this year, you know, speaking of these QB uh, spots and, and even like we see it now in the high stakes, like look at Etienne and Pittman, right? Like whether you're talking about redraft or dynasty, these guys were going four or five rounds earlier, uh, you know, three, four rounds at least. And now you're looking at Etienne creeping into the second Pittman up there. Um, you know, if you're, if you're looking one QB closer to the third. So are you the type of player where once that increase or that, that boost in value comes in, I know you play a vast portfolio and we'll touch on that. Are you looking to move some of those pieces with that jump in, in value? Or are you thinking, you know what, I'm going to benefit from this because I, I got them super cheap. Now I want to, I want to benefit from the production I can get from them. Yeah, it's a loaded question, but it's also a good one because I think that there is, there's different levels of that question that you asked, right? There's, there's the, and we're in the prime time for, especially in Dynasty, where over the next six weeks, you can probably just sit back and wait. And I mean, I'm sure you're in a bunch of, you know, Discord groups and Slack groups and Twitter, and it's just constant news every single day. And it's from everywhere, every direction. This player is getting hype. This player is not participating. This player is threatening for this role. I mean, it's just constant. And I think that there is a window to where you can use all that to your advantage. But I think you also have to just be careful of like, what, what level are you using that to your advantage? Because like, we'll start with Julio. Cause you gave that example. He's the type of player that if you're just talking about, we'll talk super flex. Cause I think it's a little more dynamic and the values are a little more vast and super flex, but he's the type of player that would be on at least how I build almost all of my teams. He would be one of those players that was teetering outside of the range where I would want to hold shares on my team other than the fact I'm waiting for something to happen. So someone else would be interested in him. You know, he's like right on the fringe of one of those players where you would say, I'll just give an example of like a, a triflex league, right? You start 10 players, shallower rosters. It, he's right on the fringe of a player that you probably would ever think to put in your lineup, except for like, maybe he's a matchup piece or maybe he's your wide receiver five or six. 
But really his value to your team is, can I flip him for something else? Is there somebody else that is willing to buy him even at a price that gives me just an extra asset? And you might sit there and go, oh, the best you could get in a tri-selects league for Julia would be like a third round pick maybe. And you'd say, well, you know, immediately people's thoughts go, what's a third round pick? And then I hear a lot of people jump to the logic of, well, why would I trade Julio for a third round pick, even in a deeper dynasty league? Because what's the hit rate on a third round pick, JD? Like maybe 5%-ish. But I think we're thinking about it too long term. I'm looking at a third round pick of what can I add that to? What can I use in the season to maybe buy more directed points? And so I think that's kind of the theory, when you're, especially when you're talking wide receivers. I mean, Josh Palmer is another example. You know, like you could sell yourself where Josh Palmer is a starter for the Chargers. It sounds like he's already going to be a guy that plays a lot, one injury away, right? So I hear people out there saying, oh, I'd pay a second for Josh Palmer. It's like, okay, I, I understand that. But at the same time, there's probably 15 Josh Palmer types in the NFL right now. What's more scarce? One of 12 second round picks or the 50 some opportunities to sell a player like that throughout the season. So forget about Josh Palmer. Forget about the fact that he's on the chargers. Look at the positional leverage of where he stands. You know, he's a wide receiver five wide receiver six that needs an injury probably to be a wide receiver three. So if I can get one of the 12 second round picks for Josh Palmer, the scarcity is on my side. And now the idea is, can I maybe accumulate two or three deals like that? Now, all of a sudden, I have three second round picks banked. What can I buy during the season that actually gives me like more directed points? Can I buy a running back that's going to get a start for a month? I'm pretty confident of putting that in my lineup where in a start 10, you might hit on Josh Palmer. When are you going to know to start him every single week? Unless he just blows up and he goes out of control. But how many of those deals are you going to lose when you make those types of trades? So I think when you're talking wide receivers, the equity to me is always to liquidate for picks. What I want to buy is I want to buy the points where it's really, really easy for me to know when to play him. And usually that's running backs. So I think that's where the theory comes in. And so a guy like Julio, a guy like Josh Palmer, any receiver, Khalil Shakir, apparently he might be the number three on Buffalo, right? You've been hearing some of those rumors as well. Like any of those guys, the way I build teams are boom, I'll liquidate for the picks because the other thing is, like, if you're a if you're a day three wide receiver, for instance, I'll, I'll give you the example of Khalil Shakir. What if he is the number three uh, number three receiver on Buffalo to open the season, and then he maybe has a little bit of of struggles, and Crowder comes in, and McKenzie comes in, he ends up having a decent rookie season. Let's say he he has forty catches, four hundred and fifty yards. You can probably consider that a good season for Khalil Shakir, right? As a fifth round pick. He's going to be a player next year where people are still going to hold the profile and the draft capital against him. So he's going to be more attainable. So I think when you're talking like day three receivers or veteran receivers, you're not really at risk of losing a massive asset in a trade either. So if you're playing a portfolio, like, man, you know what? There might be a time next year where I go, you know what? I want to get some more exposure to Khalil Shakir. It's not going to be much more costly than what I just cashed out for him. So I think that's a theory, especially with wide receivers, is you're almost always on the sell, the sell side when somebody says, oh, this guy's going to be a starter. Or this guy's going to be the number three in a high-powered offense. So hopefully that makes sense. But when you're talking about receivers, that's always the theory for me. Well, with a guy like Julio, you're thinking, this might be my last chance to move him. You know, oh, for sure. Um, unless you're sure. just waiting for that two-touchdown game or whatever it is that you're waiting for because maybe he gets part of that Gronk role, you know, the red zone role, that kind of thing. 
uh, a guy with Palmer, you're thinking, what is it going to take for him to be worth more than that second, right? Like, what, how, what is he going to ever exceed the value of a second? And if if there's too many dominoes that need to fall for that to happen, you're probably in a good spot to liquidate at that point once he's he's had that boost in value. Because like you said, you got him for what? Like he was, what, a third round uh, rookie draft pick or maybe even later in some spots. Good old Canadian boy, so I, I like me some Palmer. But like you said, he can become a roster clogger, those type of players. Um, so when they do get the boost, uh, those ones are easier to move, I think. Uh, it's The running backs are, get a little harder sometimes, just especially when you think you have, you know, maybe a big injury goes and you think, oh, wow, this guy could give me some RB1 action, uh, which is like gold. But, you know, you could also have that now. And then before the, the season shows up, they sign some other schmo off off a couch somewhere and, and there goes the value that you've you've built up so there's different ways to play like you said depending on the player the age the position all that kind of stuff you talk about portfolios and i know you know you mentioned you i think you, you said you had like 53 teams or 50 some teams um that you manage and I, I, you talk about an excel spreadsheet talk to us about you know what the purpose of that is how that helps you um, what value it brings to you as a, as a fantasy player and, and how it helps in your success? Yeah, good question. It, it's a, I, I essentially play dynasty at this point. It, it's very robotic. And I think a lot of people would probably find it somewhat boring, but it's the only way I can do it. It's the only way I can manage 50 plus teams and, and just the way that my personality is wired. I really wouldn't want to do it any other way. I know a lot of other portfolio players that I'll ask them questions about their portfolio. You know, how much do you have invested? How much exposure do you have of this player? You know, how many, you know, wh whatever the targeted question might be, I can usually find you an answer pretty quickly with my spreadsheet. And it's pretty vast. It's a spreadsheet I've developed over like five years, has over 30 tabs on it, a bunch of formulas. Like it, it's not something that you would look at and you would be like, okay, I can just make my own. You know what I mean? It's just, it's evolved. And I'll sometimes I'll just be sitting down and tweaking it and say, okay, this makes sense to start tracking. Uh, but it allows me to, like you might say, hey, playing in 50 plus leagues is difficult. The difficult part is thinking then sitting there going, I know I could be doing more, but because I'm so zoomed out and play it so much like a portfolio, every move is just, is there leverage? Is the ROI high on this move? Does it fit some of the basic macro principles that I've developed that I'm committed to following, not just this year, not just next year, but over the long term? I mean, we can talk about some of those things, but I've essentially narrowed a lot of my dynasty theory around like macro bets of where the NFL is going and where I think that the way the current dynasty community plays uh, is something that I can still gain an edge on. I mean, I say this all the time. If you go try to play me and 10 other people in Dynasty, and the only thing you have going for you is, JD, you say, Scott, I'm going to pick players better than you, or I'm going to trade better than you. Like that, That's not really an advantage, because we're already so bad at doing that as a whole. There really isn't a, an advantage to you to say, I can just outdraft you or outtrade you. Like There are times when you can do that, but... I think there's a lot of other places where you can gain a lot more ROI when playing in a portfolio uh, than that. So it's roster construction. It's some of the same things we talked about. You know, I'm literally going through every day and reading some blurbs and saying, okay, how much exposure to Khalil Shakir do I have? And in what leagues would it make sense to sell? 
And that's it. Like, that's what I'll do for the day. That's really the dynasty activity that I'll have. It'll take less than 30 minutes of time. And it's just going, I mean, it's literally just spamming. It's just pure process moves. And then I'm banking when we get to the season that my roster construction and my value accumulation over time, it just leads me to a lineup that I can set and it'll win. And I, th- I think I also acknowledge that, you know what, if I have 50, I think I have 56 teams at this point, there's probably going to be like 20% of those that it just doesn't work out. You know, it just, things just don't go right. And, and part of that 20% is deciding where to take those teams in the moment. But like I'm, I'm admitting there's going to be some variance too that we just can't account for. So I think that's the edge. That's the edge of playing in a large number of teams. I can do things without emotion, just pure process. I can look at it and say, you know what, if I can get two third round picks for Josh Palmer, that's a win. If I can do it in three leagues, that's even more so. And then you just continue to play like that on and on and on and on. And that's the strategy. Like there's a lot of people that can't or won't do that. I mean, you would be shocked at how many people ask me questions about, you know, should I make this move? To me, I'm going, hell yeah, you should make that move. But then they go, you know what? This is my big money league. I'm only in two leagues. Okay, well, you know, selling all your running backs for 23 firsts in those leagues when, like, you're going to be real upset if you lose that one league, then don't listen to me. Because the process, I would be like, yeah, absolutely do it. But then you have to know some context. So I think that's important also to know when you're playing Dynasty is who's across from you. You know, are you playing with another portfolio player or are you playing with an emotional player that has one league and he really wants to win? So that's in a nutshell. We could expand on this for hours and hours, but that that's essentially the portfolio in a nutshell. And it's uh, it's very robotic. It's all process for me. They, they say in investments, right? You you want to remove the emotions and that's that seems like that's what you're doing and, and it's treated like an investment. And like our buddy 1912 says, it's a business. I mean, it is, right? Anytime you're investing money, uh, you know, we could say it's for fun. Obviously we love it and it's fun, but uh, I've got the biggest fly in the world flying around in here. It's on my screen. So if you see me going around, I'm trying to reach for my, uh, my swatter. Um, but no, that, that was all very valuable. Is there something else? Is there one other thing that you think fantasy land should be doing this time of year that most people might not be doing, um, other than having, you know, like you said, capturing, where they're at and being honest with where they're at, whether that's how much they invested or what their portfolio looks like. Yeah. Great question. So two answers to that one, I think even if you're listening to this and you don't have a portfolio, I think just kind of listening and learning from other people that are playing in a high number of leagues or different types of leagues. I mean, your guys' show is great because you're always doing new leagues. You're all on the ground floor playing. So even if you don't have a portfolio or even if you don't have a bankroll necessarily to jump in a bunch of leagues, because I think you, you would also agree that the more you have, the more flexibility you have and the less pressure you have, if you can say, I'm just going to enter a hundred drafts, you can start thinking about this on a macro level. Like, what am I going to do within these hundred drafts? Like I have a hundred drafts. I have X amount of dollars I'm going to put up. But I'm not pressured if I'm in one draft, one night to do this. I can easily say, you know what? I'm going to pivot in this league. You know, I'm going to go take a different approach. I'm going to make a move against the grain. I'm reading the room and I realize that the 11 other managers in this league, this is not the league where I just want to follow my strict process. You know, and I play in leagues where there's like 11 people that are in my Patreon. Well, you know what? I can't just do the same stuff. Because they're sitting there going, Scott's going to do this. Scott, I'm actually at a disadvantage because a lot of them have picked up some of the same moves from me. 
So of course, when I send them Josh Palmer for two thirds, they're going to go, yeah, no way. Even one third, they're going to go, no, that doesn't make any sense. He's just going to clog my roster. Why am I going to help you when you've already kind of said like, you're going to do this on a large scale. Why would I help you? So then how I have to think about how do I outthink them? So if you don't have a portfolio, I think just kind of thinking on it this way, imagine if you had a hundred drafts to do, how would you approach that differently than if you put all your money into two drafts? You're probably going to be less risk averse. You're going to probably care more about the build of your teams and the flow of your teams and how they fit in with the within the league than I got to get these players or I got to shoot for the moon, right? Because if I don't win, big deal. I mean, what, what teams win in fantasy? It's usually like the top one or two teams in the league, right? So really, if you're looking at a portfolio, you should be thinking about all my decisions should be guiding me towards like the top 20% or better in the league. But that doesn't mean I have to go for broke if I have a hundred leagues, right? But if you only have one league, you might have to go for broke. You might have to go for broke in every round of the draft. So it puts a little more pressure. And to me, it's not as fun. So I think scaling it is important. Uh, and then the second thing is, I, I think you are always trying to think about what's next. Where Where is this space going to go? What does the group think out there? And this is tough, but I mean, you got to be on social media. You got to be listening to other podcasts. You got to be figuring out what are the biggest voices saying, you know, what, what are the players that are at the highest level doing and how do I think ahead? How do I get a step ahead? Cause this is something I've struggled with in high stakes is, you know, I only, I've only played in high stakes for this will be my seventh year and you can get caught up in just doing what everybody did last year, the year before. And that's what won. But is that really an edge? You know what I mean? Like, haven't you seen it where it's like everyone's doing what won the main event last year? And then you realize that 70% of the people you're drafting with are doing the same thing. And you know, inherently, you don't want to follow the 70% because you're actually losing an edge by following the group. So I think it's important to know what's going on in the space, you know, what's becoming the mainstream strategy, even in dynasty or in high stakes or in bus ball and thinking about ways you can, you can zag. Because it's more valuable to be the one out of 12 in the room that's doing things differently, even if that is slightly the suboptimal strategy. Again, I hate to bring it back, but it's like investments, right? You want to, you don't want to just follow the bees around. They, they go to different flowers. If you're always just following the bees, you're always buying high and selling low. If you get ahead of the bees, that's, that's when you can start making money and, and it's no different. Um, and, and just earlier talking, I mean, you're talking bankroll management and, and I think that's a topic uh, that I have talked to, to Theo about and, and, you know, with the high stakes world, I think that's something we'll cover on a show eventually, um, on here. Cause I think it's important, you know, like you said, if you, if you only have three bullets, maybe you should be playing in smaller stakes this season, you know, build up that bankroll and then move up progressively to those higher stakes, as opposed to just, you know, blowing your load in the one or two entries. And then if you lose, you're out. So those are all ways that, like you said, the pressures that are behind those decisions, uh, whether you're building that one team in a you know $5,000 league or, or whether you have multiples, you're going to draft differently. It's the same thing in poker. You know, if you got a huge bankroll, you're going to play a little looser than, than, you know, than the guy who goes in with his one bullet in, into that big tournament. So all different levels, different ways to think about. That's why I like talking to you, Scott. Uh, we, let's do a quick, quick plug. Uh, the FFPC guys, we all play on it. You all hear us talk about it. Use tag us on Twitter at go district, email us go district at Gmail. 
get a $35 signup bonus. If you're not already signed up, just send me your email address and your username on the site. Guys, it's the best site to play on. I've been using the app a lot on my phone recently, especially to do the, the you know, the Superflex uh, best balls, the, 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 the two early best ball tournaments that are on right now. They're just fun to do on the app, guys. The app works amazing. They've done an amazing job getting that thing functional and, and you know, ready to draft anytime. Live drafts in the evenings, guys, you know, slow drafts, any kind of format. Uh, Vegas is still going on. Scott, you talked about the bare knuckles. I'd love to, to talk to you more about that. I, I, every year I, I go to click that button just because it seems so appealing. So th just to, that's the one you go in with nothing, right? Or do you go in with a pen and paper? I can't remember. So we did it, uh, or I did it with uh, Jay three years ago. And yeah, it is right after the Thursday night game. Uh, they pull you, you go to the room next door where the whole watch party is for FFPC and it, you get nothing. You sit at a desk, there's no phones, there's no paper, there's no pencil, there's just a draft board. So you can see the draft board, uh, but that's all you have. So I, I really think that's going to be the first year, I'll tell you, the, the, the mistake I made the first year was I had really no thoughts about roster construction. It, it was almost just trying to be obsessed with memorizing every player, memorizing ADP. But when you really think about it, and one thing that, I'll learn from my first time was I was shocked at how many people we got into round 18, round 19, and people couldn't remember anybody to draft, <laughs> let alone like, okay, I should be taking this player in round 20, but I'll take him in round 19. It was just, um, 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 I can't think of who to pick and they, you get skipped. It's a 30 second clock and it just moves to the next person. So it's one of those where it's like the next person yells out a player name. You just get skipped. So until you interject and you say, Hey, you know, I want KJ Osborne, like you, you just don't, you miss your pick. Ah, okay. So like, yeah, I mean, you, and I don't have like a photographic memory where I can go through and memorize every single player, every single value, but I am just because of my dynasty knowledge, I can pretty much rattle off like every depth chart down to the guys that are fighting for roster spots. You know, I can probably name running back depth charts four or five deep on every roster. So like that will help me in the bare knuckle, but I'm, I'm not going to focus as much on like trying to memorize the ADP and memorize the players. I'm going to go through with roster construction with some basic principles and say, this is how I want to leave it and go from there. Cause the first year, I mean, it was crazy, man. I'm, I'm literally reading through like the Mojo ADP the day before <laughs> I recorded on my phone, just like, you know, Brandon cooks, Alan Robinson, just like down the line. And I'm listening to it while I'm at the gym on repeat, trying to memorize the ADP so I don't miss anybody. And then, of course, you get out on the floor. A, everything has just changed because we have the Thursday night game, right? So I'm trying to memorize, like, how many points did those players score? Where do I want to take them? And I literally, like, forgot everything about what I memorized <laughs> over the last two days. And it just drove me insane. You know, and I, we ended up finishing fourth place, but I'm like – you know, if I would have just been a little more loose and focused on my team and my roster construction, who cares if I miss some players? So I'm going to approach it a little bit differently this year and uh, hopefully it ends up working out. But yeah, I'm excited for it. That's a really fun thing to do. If you're at all like wanting to challenge yourself, you should you should take it up next year, man. That'd be a blast if we were in it together. 
I, I, I might sign up for that one next year. It, it's just so appealing. And I, I think we take for granted because we've got like five different screens in front of our faces when we're drafting at home, you know? And you, oh, for sure. It. And for then you sure. get there and you're like, oh yeah, no problem. And then you're like, wow, I can't even, you know, like you said, you get to the 12th, 13th. I'm sure guys are, are kind of blanking on names. Um, but that, well, we, that's cool, man. We practiced. So we, we, we were trying to figure out because Jay and I did it together and we switched off halfway through. And... We were trying to figure out, okay, how do we practice for this? Because it's it's completely foreign if I said, Jay, you know, let's jump in a draft or JD, let's jump in a football guy's draft right now. But you're not allowed to look at anything. You can't <laughs> even look at the draft room. You have to like text your pick to the commissioner. You know what I mean? And all you can see is the board. You can't look at any of the players. You can't look at the ADP. You can't look at anything like that. And so we actually drafted like over the phone with each other. But both of us couldn't look at the draft room while the other was picking. So it was like, we're, we're just going in like these $35 best ball leagues every night, just sitting there without looking at the boards, trying to pick. And I'd be like, he would take the first round, then I would take the second round. But we couldn't see the ADP. All we could see is like, you tell me who's been drafted, you know, in the last round. It's really challenging. We take for granted just how much information we have in front of us all the time. And then when it's taken away, it's like... You know, are, are you really a fantasy football expert? If somebody took everything away, all your resources, and they said just like rattle it off, and so it's a it's a it's a rude awakening. But I'm excited for it. I love how hardcore and degenerate you are. Just just listening to in the gym, you rehearsing the the ADP. I mean, that's that's some true degen, as we call it, and and we love it. We love it here in the district. Um, let Let's get back to kind of the the whole concept of optimal time to move things. I, you touched on quarterbacks. I'm going to start with the quarterback position. I know Jalen hurts, uh, in the draft that we're going to talk about later is a guy that you, you, uh, you stacked, you picked, uh, you picked up as your QB and then you stacked him with Godert. He looks like he's a guy that, that you like, you know, he gave you what 10 QB one weeks last year. He he's polarizing, but I think he's kind of moved out of the tier that I want to talk about. I had him initially in here, um, but I took him out. So let's look at the next guys in the sense that these are guys that, you know, like you said, you've got the elite quarterbacks. These are guys that have shown glimpses. And again, this is something you struggle with, or I struggle with in fantasy, the guys that have not necessarily done it consistently. It's easy to say, you know, Oh, this guy, this receiver has been a top 12 receiver. We've seen the stats on chances of them returning as a, as a top you know, uh, as a receiver one, but it's a little different at quarterback, especially when you're looking at, you know, these young guys. So you've got Trey Lance in San Fran. We all know the situation, you know, best case scenario, people hoping for Mahomes. Is that what we're going to get? He gave you one week last, last week as a QB one, Justin Fields gave you four weeks out there in Chicago. They haven't done that much to help them weapons wise. They brought in uh, what's his face from, um, uh, Harry, uh, from, from new England, but you know, nothing significant. And then you got Trevor Lawrence. You, you hope that the coaching change, uh, um, in Jacksonville helps him out. Mac Jones is another one Tua, obviously with the weapons they've added. I mean, he's surrounded. Another guy was surrounded is Zach Wilson in New York. So these guys, Mac Jones gave you the most QB one weeks last year with five, which one of these guys, and you can even throw Davis Mills in there. Which one of these guys do you think fails and which one do you love for 2022? Well, I'll start with the love. I mean, it, 
it's hard not to love Trey Lance. Trey Lance is going to be good for fantasy. And it, it might be ugly. It might be, you know, we may look at him very similar to how we look at Jalen Hurts after this year. But I just don't see a path where Trey Lance isn't good for fantasy. So that, that would probably be the one that, and it's reflected in his dynasty price too. Like everyone's kind of waited for Jimmy G to be out of the way. But at the same time, Trey Lance is one of those interesting cases where dynasty, he actually has gained value since last year. And part of it is just we haven't seen him fail, right? Like we always kind of knew what his ceiling was, but he, he, he didn't play much. So he hasn't been able to fail. And thus his values held. So it's, it's interesting that we look at that type of profile and we say, you know, I, I'm, I don't really care if he didn't play much last year. It's, we're just enamored by the upside. I think with redraft, a guy like Lance is probably one of those where you still have to take a second quarterback. But, I mean, we were talking about that earlier. I love the prospects of pairing Lance with somebody like Watson or pairing him with somebody like Carr or Cousins. And it's just what's the opportunity cost of having to draft the second quarterback. But I think of the of these for himself has the highest fantasy upside by a mile. Now I'm a big believer though in there's two different types of fantasy quarterbacks. I mean, if you look at last year's numbers, half of the top 12 quarterbacks had less than seven percent rushing share. So you don't. It's kind of a misnomer that you have to be a a, a high valued rushing quarterback to be elite. I think to be QB one, QB two, you have to be able to run. But to finish as like a mid to low T low QB one, you don't have to. So I, I am, I'll say of this list, the one that I am extremely enamored with, and it's going to probably shock you is Mac Jones. Like there, there's a shot that Mac Jones is just an efficiency monster. And so when I'm looking at like Mac Jones, when we get to pros versus Joe's, he was one of the ones I absolutely was targeting because there's, there's a chance his efficiency last year was extremely good for a rookie. And I think people have just kind of overcorrected on him and faded him because he doesn't have the weapons that we want. But like, honestly, you look at Mac Jones efficiency, you put him on Miami or the Jets right now, people are treating him like Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yet everyone's excited for Tua to an extent, Zach Wilson to an extent. Those guys, especially Tua, those guys are horrible. That Their efficiency has been dreadful. So this is going to be a very, very test-worthy year of do receivers drive the quarterback play or do the quarterbacks lead to the wide receiver efficiency? And I actually think it's the latter. So I, I struggle with taking some of Zach Wilson's weapons or taking two as weapons. So I almost have to look at those two as like, you know, one thing I say in Dynasty, if you already have like Garrett Wilson and Elijah Ward, you might as well go and get Zach Wilson. You, you might as well go all in on, on that entire thing because it either needs to accelerate to like a hyper-efficient level to where they just smash or you just go down in flames. Because otherwise, if Zach Wilson's bad, he's going to drag the receivers down in flames as well. And I think it's the same with the Dolphins. So I think that's where I'm at. I mean, I'm looking at these guys as like, I want Lance, I want Fields for standalone. Like I could just play them without stacking. I could take a shot that I hit on a QB1 with those guys. I don't really care if I have any weapons or a stack. Mac Jones, I kind of want to stack with all his weapons. And then, you know, Tua and Zach Wilson, I'm hesitant to invest in his weapons because of the lack of efficiency from the quarterbacks. And Lawrence fits in with those guys too. He, he just doesn't have many guys that are draftable alongside him. Yeah, Mac has, like, you pick him and then you know there's pieces left that you can pick yep, at on for the sure. way down. Whereas Wilson and, and, and Tua, it really depends on what you did in the earlier rounds uh, before they get to you. And then... 
you know, like you said, once you have two of those guys, like if you have Hill and Waddle, how can you not think Tua is going to have a good season? You know, they're, they're, those two are not going to reach optimal if, if Tua doesn't, if, if they go somewhere else or whatever the case is. So you, you do almost have to go all in, in in those cases. And like we say often, each draft, you're telling a story and you want your story to include the optimal result for each guy that you pick. That's why you've picked it, right? So if you start kind of backing up that pick or, or handcuffing it, you know, in some cases, that's where you start limiting your upside. And, and in most of these tournaments or most of these drafts, that's not necessarily uh, optimal. And I will add this on Trey Lance. Uh, everything I've heard about Trey Lance, and we heard this, I remember listening to the Dane Brugler and Lance Zerline podcast. They don't do it anymore, but they had their own podcast uh, before the draft in 2021. Uh, and they brought on Quincy Avery, who works on a ton with a ton of quarterbacks. He's a quarterback guru. And I rem- I'll never forget, they interviewed him. And they asked him about Trey Lance and they asked him about some of the some of the flaws that he has. You know, he only played 20 games in college. He played at FCS. Hadn't He only started one game in the past 19 months or something like that at the time. And everyone's assumption was Trey Lance isn't ready. Trey Lance is going to need years to kind of get up to speed before he's ready. And I'll never forget Quincy Avery came out and this guy works with like a lot of the good quarterbacks in the NFL. He said, Trey Lance is the smartest and the best prospect he's talked to that he's represented, that this is a guy that will come in. He will never have a question about his work ethic. You'll never have a question about any of his physical talent. It's just truly going to be getting the reps to get up to speed. And yet this is a guy that's worked with him is saying this. And then Trey Lance was a disappointment last year because he only started like two games, right? And how many people were drafting him at like QB 14, 15 last year thinking, oh, he's going to take over halfway through. Yet kind of everything was saying like, that's probably not going to be the case. You know what I mean? So like, I think there's some, there's some sourness on Trey Lance, even in redraft from last year because he didn't play yet. And I think part of it is we expect rookie quarterbacks to play right away. You know what I mean? Like we just expect if you're not playing right away, then you must be bad. Well, Mahomes was like 40 years ago, right? So <laughs> people already forgot that well, he sat even, out his first season. But even that though, like the average time of waiting, if you're a top 15 pick, the average time of waiting to take over as a starter, it's like less than five games. So just on average, if like if you're taking Trey Lance and Dynasty last year, you took him with the expectation that you were going to get half a season at least worth of starts, right? I think a lot of people expected that. Then it didn't happen. Every redraft league, he got dropped. And so now it's kind of like, well, we can't vault him back up too quickly. But what has changed between now and then? Other than he has a year under his belt. He has a really good supporting cast, a good running game. Like It, it just doesn't make sense that we're kind of punishing him for last year when last year should have been expected. We got a question actually from um, Floazaris. Uh, I'm going to throw it on just because uh, we definitely want you guys in the chat to uh, to drop the cues and uh, I'll let Scott. So he's got 12 team super flex, one PPR, start nine. His top three running backs, Swift, Etienne, and Hunt. Going along the lines of what we talked about with the Etienne uh, boost in value, do I trust Etienne as my RB2? Najee owner is in 12th and shows interest in Etienne. Do I try to trade Etienne and mute, I guess, uh, Fryermuth, uh, hashtag uh, tight end of the show. And then he's got Gerald Everidge and Janu uh, as his only other tight ends. So I guess he's wondering if he should move 
Etienne or should he trust him as his RB2? I'll, I'll let you answer before I give my two cents. I mean, if it's not, I mean, tight end premium or PPR doesn't matter much if it's 1.5. I mean, I would do Etienne and Fryermuth for Najee Harris. But I also, if I look at that running rack room and I see that on one of my rosters, that's totally fine with me. You know, especially if you're playing in multiple leagues, like I, I'm not panicking over, put it this way. In July, my focus is not to take a running back room with Swift and Etienne and Hunt as an RB3. And hopefully he has other backups that are just bullets that he could fire if there's an injury. I don't look at that running back room and say, I need to panic and start consolidating my assets to get better players. It is a start nine. So, I mean, I can understand if he's looking at his, you know, 12 players on his roster and trying to optimize them to be like the best 12 players he can get. Uh, But I'd have to see the rest of the team to say like, am I fine with that running back room? If that's, if that's my running back room on how I'm normally building teams, I'm trying to go like elite positional advantage at the quarterback and tight end position in turn, I'd be fine with a running back room like that. I'll just bet on the, you know, ETN and Swift both have pretty high upside. I'm betting on that running back room. I don't think I need to like over consolidate. Like, you know, you wouldn't want to add like a first round asset plus ETN to get Najee. You know what I mean? I I don't think that's the best use to your resources. Not in July too early to do that. And that that's what I was going to ask. It's, is the whole investing, like, you know, trading up, I guess, in, into the running back position, which between now and the start of season, let's face it, could, could, could just go to shits if, if, you know, you make the For wrong sure. Play. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I think I that's the, that, that's exactly what you're, that's exactly the point. There's a lot that can happen between now and then. I, I want to save, especially with the 23 picks, with this class coming up, I, I almost always, unless it's just a massive leverage deal right now, I want to hold my 23 picks I want to fire those in the season where the trade market opens up, right? Like there's going to be somebody that goes, you know what? I've been holding Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb on my roster and I thought I can contend and I'm 0-4. You can get your pick of the one of those two that threads the needle and is having a 20-point-per-game season in season. I don't want to bet on that in July. So I know Najee is younger. He's still insulated. He's probably going to get a lot of touches, but you know, how do we know he doesn't, you know, pull a hammy in, in preseason, you know, and then he's limited, you know, there's just a lot that can happen. It doesn't make sense to pay to consolidate what I think is not a massive margin at running back. I, I would almost prefer this time of year taking maybe like a, an RB two high RB two, low RB one pairing it up with whether it's a pick or another piece and then upgrading at your receiver position and getting yourself like a stud where you can lock in some value um, this time of year where you're not as worried about losing that value going into the season. We're talking about picks. Uh, very impressive to hear out of your 56 teams, uh, just under 100, 2023 20, first. Is that what I heard or was that 2023 20, picks? No, 2023 20, first. I actually traded oh, one yeah. away the other day, which is kind of shocking. Uh, nice. But I think I'm at 105 out of uh, out of 56 leagues. And, I, and I, I think you nailed it, man. You, you nailed, if I'm at, if I'm Floasaurus, I'm adding to Fryermuth to try to go get Andrews or Kelsey or something like that. That's how I'd rather do that. Yeah. Even in a PPR to lock in the positional advantage, you know, the, the warp or the, you know, the, the win rate on getting that elite tight end season is, is much higher than even if Najee has a 20 point per game season, the, the elite tight end seasons are worth even more. So that's what I would do instead of trading the, the upgrade at the RB two spot. 
So if we focus in on, on these picks, I know we're, we're kind of talking, you know, when's the optimal time you've got a lot of them. So you're looking at it more on a portfolio basis. When are you deciding is the optimal time for you to start using these chips to buy yourself pieces? Or like you said, are you waiting to be in the season where the market is more open um, and, and you, you have more options and maybe people are more desperate as well? Well, here's the first thing. I definitely do not the way you can defeat my 105 2023 first is to make me pick 100 and 105 players with those picks. So I think that's the thing is is my drive towards wanting the 23 picks for the last 2 or 3 years was never so that I can pick all the players in this class. It looks like a good class. Part of that is why the picks are so valuable. But I can also acknowledge that we get to a rookie draft and we go, okay, that 109, which I thought was going to be a stud, is one or two players outside of the tier. And now the value of that pick on the clock is actually less than what it was a year ago when somebody valued it as a random 2023 first. So I think that's the exercise now is I'm going through my team systematically. There's a lot of tools out there uh, that can kind of vaguely give you the value of your dynasty roster. I know football guys has one, dynasty nerds has one. There's tools that you can look at and I can just look at your team versus my team I can filter out how much draft capital I have and go just pure roster value. Who has the most valuable teams? And so some of my better teams where I'm in the top two or three, I'm kind of hoping that I can find the leverage trade at some point between now and the mid season where someone values that pick as a random 23 first. So like ideally I would want to take probably 40% of my picks and try to trade away as many of those that are in the back half of the drafts as possible. And I think you have to kind of find the spots to do that. Like the other day I made a trade and I traded away a 23 first and got back a package of players. I wouldn't make that league in a lot of, I wouldn't make that move in a lot of leagues. Uh, Other leagues I'm looking at like mid first where I'm not sure about my team. That could be one where I tank that team to the bottom if things go badly in the season. Or, you know, I think I have a team that, really can start firing on all cylinders, but maybe I'm three and three in week six, right? But I'm looking at my potential points and I'm looking at my roster value going, this should really be like a five and one or a six and O team. Can I sucker somebody into trading me like two starting pieces for that one pick? Because they're thinking it might be the one Oh five or the one Oh six. And that that's kind of what I'm looking for. And that's what I'm betting on quite frankly, is that there's going to be, I don't know if you've seen it in some of your dynasty leagues, but there's a lot of teams that are already looking at their own 23 first and just dedicated to tanking that pick to the bottom, you know? And I'm hoping those couple teams are motivated sellers to try to collect more of these picks in season. That's kind of what I'm doing. I want to shave off the picks that I can right now for the moves that make sense, but I also am betting that I can move some of these picks when they're still ambiguous in nature during the season. You talked about leverage. You've got hashtag dynasty leverage right now on your handle. Talk to me about the meaning and how does this play into like your overall approach to dynasty? Yeah, I I love that you asked this question because really if you just go back, leverage, the definition of, uh, I wrote the analytics of dynasty uh, 2021 and I talked about this and I've wrote uh, some other pieces for DLF where I talked about leverage and just the idea of like you you come up to a 400 pound boulder, right? And you can't lift it. You're not strong enough to lift it. But what's the definition of a lever, right? You get something that helps you lift something more than what you could lift yourself. Like that's, that's where it goes back to. 
And so I'm always looking at dynasty moves in that, in that light, where are the places? And it's not the exact same thing. Cause you're not trying to lift a boulder in dynasty, but you're really trying to overcome the fact that there's a ton of variance. There is a ton of things we cannot project. There's a ton of things we can't predict. So where can I find the bets where I can essentially make educated bets and end up getting not just myself against you. I'm not making a one for one bet against you. You pick one player. I pick one player. Where do I have that second piece that comes in that could also help me? So it, it, I'll give you an example, like down tiering from wide receivers in nondescript ranges, right? So you can tell me like there's a bunch of receivers from wide receiver 10 to wide receiver 40 ish in dynasty value where it's literally no better than a 60-40 bet that those guys are going to finish between 10 and 40. I have no clue what order they're going to finish, but I think as a community, we're very good at picking which ones are in that range, right? Like which receivers are can be a low-end wide receiver one to a high-end wide receiver three. We're pretty good at nailing who those names are. We can follow market share. We can follow like historical target data. We can follow offensive efficiency and offensive play volume but you can gain leverage by essentially making a bunch of those moves where it's like, okay, I'll take on a couple years of age and maybe a slightly lower projection. We'll swap receivers, but you also throw me a second round pick. We'll swap receivers. You give me a first, I'll give you a second. And just those bets over and over and over where guess what? Even if I lose and I get a player that's slightly worse, I lost in a range where I don't think it's going to matter much, but I'm still getting the second asset. That's like the consolation prize. But man, like, and I hate to use injuries, but injuries happen too, right? What if I trade you away? Like I trade you AJ Brown, you trade me, or I give you AJ Brown in a second. You give me Rashad Bateman in a first. What if AJ Brown gets hurt? What if Rashad Bateman smashes? I've now given myself an opportunity where I win that deal by tenfold over you. But even if I lose on the players, I still gain the pick upgrade. Or I still gain the extra pick, like the two for one. This is where you're looking at two for ones. Like generally when I ask you, JD, would you want to do two for ones when you're down tiering on players? What would be your answer? Just without any context. If you're down tiering? Yep, down tiering. Just like generally if you're getting... Usually if I'm doing two for one, I'm upgrading. Exactly. And I would agree with you. And then you look at the formats and you say okay, this is a league where I can start 12 players. This is a league where there's 32 roster spots. This is a league where the scoring is X or the scoring is Y. Then you look at where are you down tiering or where are you up tiering? Then you look at like, okay, this is in a range where even if I'm right about the bet that I'm making, the impact that that range of player is having on my team is extremely low. So that's why I I shared with you the warp data before uh, the podcast Historically, we, it's pretty much the same historically. I mean, going back like seven or eight years, you look at like the wide receiver 20 and the wide receiver 10, the win rate and impact on your team is minimal. So if you can take that to dynasty and go, okay, this guy's the wide receiver 10, this guy's the wide receiver 25, I can find somebody that'll give me a first rounder to upgrade, upgrade. The only way you win that deal if you're the upgrader is if you finish outside of like this nondescript warp range, if that makes sense. And I think there's a ton of spots you can do that. RB twos, wide receiver twos and threes, quarterback twos. Historically, those are great places to literally just take advantage of the market and you're always getting the leverage back. That's how you accumulate picks. 
during the season, if I do that four or five times in every league, I'm the guy that has all the picks during the season. I can spend them like it's found money. Hey, I don't really want to pay a second for this running back, but you know what? He's going to start three straight games. I'll give you a second. But that's like three starts that I can get, especially if I have a roster build where I'm kind of fading high-end running backs. That's gold. The win rate on that, if those guys even just put up 15 points per game in their spot starts, is massive compared to the the quote-unquote down tier that I made at a wide receiver two or wide receiver three. And that's playing the position, right? Because running back position, like RB2, exactly. RB2 is my favorite spot to do it, especially now when you have these triflex leagues where you got to start three receivers, uh, you know, you got tight end premium, you got to be strong, man, super flex. You've you got three positions right there where you got to strengthen up. So that RB2 is, is, is the one that that's the easiest to do that with. And like you said, if you can do that even two or three times, let alone five or six, you're gaining value because the running back position is the one position where you could say during the season, you know what, this week, this guy's going to be a starter. Whereas receiver, you're just guessing a lot of the time, um, which, which also gives you that opportunity to do that, that similar move. But I, I really like doing it at the running back position. I think it fits nicely with kind of how we build our, our rosters uh, here in the district. A um, lot, a lot of great info there. I wanted to just uh, remind the people guys underdog right now, Awesome tournaments going on. Get up to $100 when you use the code district. Again, easy to use on your phone, on your laptop, on, on your browser. Um, and they've got other sports on there, baseball, as well as season-long football and huge tournaments right now. I don't even, they've got what right now? Uh, the puppy that's that's still going on. Um, I'll pull it up and, and give you guys a quick update. Like I said, I've been out of the country for a couple of weeks. Uh, but check out underdog district is the code you would use to get up to a hundred dollars match and get into any of those tournaments right now, uh, and play for some serious money. Scott, we talked about Palmer, um, looking at receivers. I noticed you and I both picked up, uh, Wandell Robinson. He's a guy that we've talked a lot about, uh, this off season on the show. Uh, you got him like in the 17th round. I got him, I think around the 19th round, but he's one of those guys Talk to me about what excites you about Robinson himself and just the Giants as a whole. They, there seems to be like a very optimistic uh, feel in fantasy land. Are you that optimistic about this offense? Is, and what other pieces are you excited about if you are? Well, first, uh, so I was, I went to Kentucky, so I'm a huge Kentucky oh, supporter. Nice. So I, I like Wondell Robinson for that. Uh, but interestingly, I was able to separate that from my dynasty strategy. And I was one of the early kind of skeptics of Wandale just because I bought into the size narrative. You know, you filter, go back in history and you filter players that, you know, were five, eight or under and had, you know, X, Y, and Z profile. And, you know, you can actually go to like stat head where you basically can look up anything in the history of the NFL and you filter for Wandale Robinson's profile. And it almost comes up like never happened. That, you know what I mean? There's not been many players. And then you add in the fact that he was drafted in the second round. Then you're talking about like a true outlier, right? So I was off Wandale and I bought into the fact that, you know what, that the ceiling is limited with a player of his size. And I think a lot of people admit that, but then that started to creep into his, the valuation of him too, right? Like we, we sat there and we go, well, it doesn't mean he stinks. You know, he was an early declare, super productive receiver in the SEC. He produced as a 19-year-old, got second round draft capital. Then you take Brian Dayball and you look at, you know, 
of the receivers that have kind of squinted and looked and had similar profiles, there have been others that actually have done it under Brian Dayball too. So it's like, this isn't the, maybe they did have a plan to use him in a certain way. So I bought back in on Wandale and just kind of, I'm like, you know what, if he can give me uh, some sort of short-term production, uh, especially in a best ball, uh, I can buy into the rebounded offense. And I still think the giants as a whole are being faded because they're the giants and they're, I think their quarterback's probably bad, but there's a range of outcomes where he's probably more like league average and his efficiency is league average. And he can be, he can be dragged along at least for his weapons for the short term. So I I just think that he's one of those players that if you're talking redraft, if you're talking best ball, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up with a, a 60 catch season, you know, is he gonna score a lot of touchdowns? Probably not, but I just think he's being faded a little bit because he doesn't have a lot of upside yet. We're, you know, we're taking players like, you know, I see in almost every draft, someone takes like Alec Pierce over him. I'm like, I, you know, I'm not even sure Alec Pierce does much as a rookie. His profile screams like this is not a guy that's going to come right in yeah, and produce. He never produced in college ever, you know, and he had a, a, t- a quarterback that was drafted in the NFL. So he's one where I'm like redraft. I'm not taking a guy like that. And then I think with Wandale, the, the move in dynasty is if he produces, let's say he goes out and has a, 70 catch, 750 yard season. It gets into the psychology of what's the narrative going to be on him next year? Well, he doesn't really have a ceiling, right? That's probably his best he's ever going to do. Maybe he'll become like Hunter Renfro might be his ceiling. You know what I mean? So I don't think he's ever going to be a guy explodes in dynasty either. So I was in on buying him at his price, but then dynasty terms, like next year, he'll be the guy where, Hey, you want to, Give me a second and I'll sell him. You know what I mean? I'm not looking at like holding him because I think he has a massive ceiling because I think we can agree that he doesn't, but the psychology comes into play. I was talking with Ray Garvin about this the other day. The psychology in Dynasty is fascinating. You know, like we already know the preconceived notions on a guy like Wandale, which means you already know that no matter really what he does in the next year or two, it is going to be the community is going to see a limited ceiling, which is value is going to be limited. So then he's going to be a sell. And then I see the answer it, on Rondale Moore. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> exact same thing. So you're not, you're not waiting till the, till the giants have a top pick n- next off season for a rookie quarterback. And, and all Wandell is like the hottest breakout candidate. No, that that's when I will go. Okay. Any second gets Wandell and people will go, Oh man, you're selling low for a second. But really that's one of those process moves where I've made a profit. He fell to the third round in rookie drafts this year. I'm fine cashing out on a player like that. That's where I'll take my seven exposures to Wandale and sell five or six. I'll hold one or two. Maybe that's one or two with I stack with whatever draft pick the, the Giants take at quarterback. But that's it. I'm, I'm not going to hold on to more exposure because I think the market's going to see him as a limited upside player in Dynasty. No matter what he does he would have to go out and have like four straight years of what Hunter Renfro did last year. And that's probably where I'll just, that's an outlier bet. And I'll, I'll just ride one or two shares that I have that does that, but I'm not going to bet on it. So if I can profit, that's one of those players that the profile I'll just cash out. We're starting to hear, you know, obviously you've got the whole fat Lenny situation. Um, but as we go into training camp and, you know, there's going to be a lot more of these things, the Burks with the breathing issues, 
there's opportunity there as, as we go deeper into to training camp, I think we're going to, we're going to hear more and more smoke. How do you, how do you kind of differ the smoke from information that is valuable to you? And how do you optimize on these situations? Cause sometimes the information in your head is like, that's, that's nothing, but fantasy land reacts and that opens up the opportunities, especially this time of year. Is there something specific that Fantasyland should be paying attention to as we get into training camp? And how do you differ between what we call the smoke and, and the truth? Yeah, it's interesting because like one of the major ones was Traylon Burks, right? Like we heard all the stuff during OTAs that he was out of shape, asthma, whatever, whatever you want to call it, right? And his market price dropped. You know, I was in some rookie drafts that were after all of that, and he was falling to like wide receiver five, wide receiver six in drafts behind Chris Alave, you know, to whereas like two months ago, that would have been crazy. Like everyone was taking him at like wide receiver one, two, wide receiver three. Then he fell, you know, he fell behind Alave. He fell behind Sky Moore in a couple drafts that I was in. Yet then you listen to like I was listening to a podcast last week. They had Diana Russini on. She talked about she goes, yeah, I was at the Titans camp. All of that was true. Uh, but I've also followed up with it and he's taken it to heart. He's dropped like 20 pounds. He's fully back in shape. It's not an issue coming into camp, but I don't think that caught on, you know, on Twitter and out in the, the dynasty streets as fast as the, he's out of shape. He's going to be a bust. He's not going to be ready. So there was a window right there where if you just consumed more information, you know, you might've been able to go, okay, I'm skeptical that 99% of people have downgraded this guy from his value two months ago. Maybe I'm going to find an opportunity because I was not in on Burks at all. And I don't really look at him as a range of player where I'm like, I'm going to go buy aggressively because I'm not paying 23 first for a receiver like that. Right. We already talked kind of about those principles. So there really wasn't a buy opportunity for me, but then I go, okay, well, how can I maybe look to pivot to Burks in these situations, pivot down off a player that other people are like super, super excited about. That's how I want to get my shares. And it literally was just, I had more information and it wasn't like it was secret information. It was just literally something out there that was buried on a random podcast that made me sit and think, you know what, maybe there's a little more to this story that is not getting retweeted and is not going viral on a bunch of places. Not every podcast is talking about how maybe he's taken Vrabel's kind of threats to heart and he's, he's not going to be an issue coming into camp. So it's just interesting. Just a lot of information out there. Always look for, the opposite of what the masses are saying. And if there's any angle where you can find with that, maybe you make the opposite bet. This is going back to the zigging and zagging. You know, everyone's thinking one thing, kind of fade that narrative and go the other way. And if you hit, the ROI is a lot higher if you're going against the grain. We're drama queens, man. We're, we're drama queens. We are. we are. Like as fantasy players, especially as dynasty players. Oh my God, these guys are professional athletes. I just went away on a trip. And I would look, it's not like back in the day where you go to, you know, two weeks in your twenties, you go hit the gym for two weeks and you're, you know, you're ripped and ready to go. I'm in my mid forties. So it takes a bit longer, but I went down 12, 13, 14 pounds the month and a half leading up to the, to the, I'm not a professional athlete. I didn't have the time I, I could put into it that these guys have. It's not that much of a big deal. These guys can quickly get back into shape. We haven't even started training camp. You know what I mean? And they're talking about his weight. So for me, I, I, I find fascinating the opportunities that come along with these. Remember Chase last year dropping balls? Uh, I don't remember if it was preseason or training camp, but, you know, JT with the, all the Heinz hype, 
I mean, those are, you get those values. I, I think I got JT for one first rounder last year during, during that, you know, during that short period of time where he's going in the second and third round of drafts. So capitalize on those guys, you know, realize what the smoke is, capitalize on it. Um, before we, we finish off the questions here real quick, I was talking about, uh, underdog. It is not the puppy. I apologize. It's the BBM, the, the best ball mania that's still on. And that's like guys, $2 million for first place, $10 million in prizes at $25 entry. Get your asses on underdog. Now use the code district, get a hundred bucks match and play for that big money. And Scott Fishbowl, we touched on it lightly. I don't even know if it's still kosher to talk about the Fishbowl, but uh, that could be a whole other episode. But they, he, they've got an interesting $5 satellite there that goes to charity, uh, the J.J. Watt Foundation. So check that out uh, for Scott Fishbowl satellites for charity uh, also on the Underdog platform. Pros versus Joes. Dan and I participated last year. Uh, I think we're in it this year. I'm not not sure see wheeler's helping me out here there is a puppy coming august 1st he's more on top of it i'm just i'm just getting caught up in the fantasy land uh news here but um you did a pros versus joe's recently first question i have because i assumed it was dynasty right off the bat it's redraft right the one that you did it is redraft yep best it's ball redraft. redraft redraft slim 20 rounds no kicker no defense yep uh seven there was there's seven total drafts i believe they're on uh Draft number four right now. But yeah, it was the first one of the group. Talk to me about who you drafted against because you had a pretty uh, pretty stacked roster and uh, just your general thoughts on how, how the draft went. Yeah, I mean, we drafted against... So every year it's stacked. I was honored to be asked uh, to represent uh, my, my brand, so Dynasty and Chill, uh, in the Pros versus Joes this year as a pro. Uh, drafted against, I mean, you'll know, like... Uh, you know, Sigmund Bloom, Evan Silva, uh, Jared Smaller from Draft Sharks, uh, Shane Hallam, one of my one of my best friends in the space. Shane Hallam from uh, Draft Countdown was in it. He's been very successful in Pros vs. Joes. I think this is like his tenth year uh, that he's been in Pros vs. Joes. So it, the good thing is, it, you know, I'm just mostly known for being a dynasty guy. You know, and so I'm able. I was able to do a little bit of scouting on, you know, like I'm a subscriber to Draft Sharks and I'm very in tune with Evan Silva's work. And, you know, so I, I'm able to do a little scouting going in. Uh, but then it ended up being where I got, I got the 12 spot and it's best ball. So I knew that I had to be real strict on my roster construction. Uh, and I actually achieved pretty much the perfect roster construction of, I wanted to uh, going out. I believe I ended up with, I went slim at tight end, only two tight ends, but I was able to stack both my tight ends, which was a huge thing for me. Love that. If I'm going to go two tight ends, I want them to stack with the two quarterbacks that I got. And I was able to achieve that. Uh, and I ended up with five running backs, uh, which is, I, I, I pegged that as being the the optimal number. The only thing I'm, I'm kind of questioning is I did handcuff one of my running backs, which I don't love. Uh, but, you know, the build ended up being what I wanted. I think two tight ends five running backs, three quarterbacks, and nine receivers is think I would, what I ended up with. So the build was perfect. That was my first focus was I'm going to be in the 12 spot. I'm probably going to have to be uh, real focused on the build because I have no clue what players are going to come to me. And most likely these guys, like Evan Silva had a great draft, but I think a lot of it was he picked in the sixth spot. He just sat there and was like, I'm going to take the values. And of course, there there wasn't a lot of good defensive drafting here. They ended up letting him stack Mahomes with Kelsey and Prescott with CD yeah. Lamb. And I'm like, man, you guys are just handing him like four players that could smash. You know what I mean? 
like at least play some defense. Cause I wasn't in a position to play in defense really at the 12 and at the, uh, end. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. So I kind of just had to go, I want the roster construction and I'll just play whatever players fall into that. Yeah. yeah I, I don't usually care about draft position. And, and I think I even asked you, like, if you have a preference, I think the only time I care is if there's like really good players in the room and I, you know, people know each other. That's when I care more. Like Silva's got a really nice spot in the middle there. You're never missing anything. I mean, he does have gauge that he picked up in the seven, so that's going to hurt his roster. So it helps you a bit. Uh, you took a bit of heat for that Philly stack in the fifth and the sixth with Hertz and, and Goddard with, from the FFPC guys when I was watching the broadcast, which I don't, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with. But um, talk to us about that and your two RB start, which was interesting with Swift and Cook. Yeah, so the two RBs is was definitely on purpose. Um, I, so I've done the. I've done some research on warp data and really what I'm shooting for is running backs that can finish in the top eight or better. And the main issue is, and you hear this all the time when you're looking at some of these draft boards, because I know you guys have done a lot of drafts. What you don't want to end up doing is chasing the same type of build as the teams that are getting better players ahead of you. And that's mm -hmm. what I knew was going to happen if I tried to go, you know, so some people said, you know, just stagger wide receiver and running back for the first, you know, three or four rounds. And I'm going like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, any of Barkley, Cook, or Swift. Those were my three targets at the 112-201. But if I just take one of those, and then I end up taking, you know, pick the receiver that I could have gotten there. Could have been Adams, could have been Lamb. I'm going to almost end up chasing the same type of build as some of those teams early on that got Taylor or got McCaffrey. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I, I said, you know what? I'm either going double receiver. I'm going double running back. And the two running backs that I take, I'm betting on a ceiling season from those guys. And I was honestly torn. I was torn between Barkley and Cook on which one, you know, I wanted to buy into. So I ended up just kind of going tiebreaker on the, what I think is going to be the better offense, the more efficient offense, yeah, like uh, but I'm shooting for two running backs there. They don't need to match McCaffrey, but they need to hit me one of those like one one or better warp seasons where they are, you know, 19 points per game potential or more. You know, they don't have to score 25 a game, but I feel like if I went running back receiver there and they still were only like 80% of one of the running backs ahead of me that hits their peak and stays healthy, then I'm kind of just chasing my tail. You know what I mean? I'm not getting an advantage with the way I constructed. So I wanted to go for two. And hopefully push some more of them off the board before my picks, you know, three through six, where I'd be able to hit the other positions. Yeah, I, I love how you describe it that way. I, that's something I find that this year might be the first year where I'm actually paying attention to that is it's kind of defining how I start in my first two, three picks is how am I differentiating versus the other guys in this league? I know these are a lot of these are for bigger tournaments. Um, but you're, you're looking at the guys in your leagues. Like if you look, there's only one other team that went back to back running back and that was Najee and, and, and Henry and Henry. So really that's your real competition when you're looking at strength at RB and then how do you differentiate as you go through the draft? And you'll see if you guys are watching the board that you definitely did that as you went down, you picked up Mike Williams and Marquise Brown, uh, back to back. And, and do you think by grabbing the two running backs there, you may be pushed receiver down a bit because guys were a little more uh, enticed to grab a running back, seeing them go off maybe a little early? Because like you said, a lot of guys go back-to-back -back receiver there in that 12 spot. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was basically sitting there going, okay, I want to see at least seven, eight running backs go off the board. Now this is best ball. There is no waivers. So roster construction is important. So I knew the running backs were going to go a little higher because there's a lot of people in this draft that I knew were going to go. They're going to try to get at least one or two anchor running backs. Like that seems to be the common strategy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's also going to be teams that are going to reach on quarterback a little bit too. If they're going to go with a two quarterback build, you know, they may take one in the fourth or fifth round and then take a second one. And then that's it. And they just bank on like their anchor. You saw a lot of teams do that. They took quarterbacks in the first four or five rounds and they went with only one more in some instances. So that was another place where I go, you know what? The receivers are going to fall back. They're not going to be like any of the top 10, top 12 receivers. Uh, but I'm just going to chase efficiency at my quarterback spots for the receivers that I'm drafting. And that's something that you'll notice uh, is fairly common across the board. There's only two receivers that I ended up with where I'm looking at the efficiency of the quarterback. And I think it's a little bit shaky. And and then the wild card is obviously the, the Eagles stack. I'm betting on a kind of a turnaround from Hertz there uh, that he's not as inefficient as he was last year. And I think if those, if those happened, I did gain some advantages uh, with some of the roster construction moves because I took three quarterbacks higher than everybody else. Uh, and I targeted Mac Jones on purpose because of what we talked about. I know his fantasy ceiling itself was low, uh, but I knew I could elevate that by tagging him with a tight end. Like Hunter Henry was one of my prime targets. And then also tagging with another one of his receivers. There was a point where I almost went back to back, uh, born Parker or Myers. And it ended up just being born that fell in my lap, but I definitely wanted to get one of his receivers as well. I, this is a really nice build. The more I'm looking at your build, I love how you did that. Um, the tight ends. I mean, even whether you got Morrow at the end or not, you could have even gone with the, with the slim, uh, you know, lighter tight end build. Like you said, especially with the two running backs early, you can easily do a five RB build. I find that's where I'm most comfortable. And I find the more you get to the season, the more comfortable I am having being thinner at running back because you're more sure of the situations of the health of the guys. So as you get closer to the season, it's easier to get more and more hyper fragile. Uh, love that build. And then the depth, like you said, uh, I'm looking at Julio in the 19th right now. And that's looking, that's looking real sweet. You must feel good about that one. Yeah. And that was one where, and I, I, I honestly, I forgot about taking Moreau in the last round. I was not targeting him. Uh, but then I just looked at, you know what, like that, that is probably one of my favorite tight ends that has a elite Raz profile and is in a situation to where I actually think he's going to be somewhat usable, uh, for fantasy because they don't have a lot around like basically Adams, Waller and Renfro. Uh, and he's a guy that I could see in best ball being a little more usable than where his ADP is, especially like some of the other tight ends. Like, I don't see how you could take, you know, a guy like John U. Smith over him, you know, like I, I would rather have Moreau if he you know, has a couple standalone games over Johnny Smith for the whole season. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the, that's going to be the advantage. And then I don't know if I got any flack for the Watson pick uh, in hindsight, I could have justified taking Justin Fields. If I knew I was going to for sure go with the three quarterbacks. Uh, but I, I think in a tournament like this, this isn't a, you know, thousand person or more entry tournament, but it still is 84 teams. Uh, and I, I think you're not going to find many teams that went, you know, Watson, where I did plus an earlier quarterback and plus a third quarterback. So I think it's just a unique build. So we'll see how it ends up shaking out. But those are those are the the main focuses. And really, the receivers were just, you know, I got lucky with Julio where I did, you know, he, he'd be going where probably took Chark or earlier if we drafted tonight. So that's another thing. And it, 
I think there's four pros versus Joe's drafts that haven't happened. Uh, the, all those teams are going to be taking Julio in round like 10 through 13. Mm-hmm. So I gain value right there without even really, you know, thinking about it. Mike, Mike Thomas, uh, 1912, asking to get your take on him. I, I find the saints just as a team is interesting right now. You've got the, the Camara dynamic, You've got, uh, you know, the rookie coming in in Olave. You've got Mike Thomas coming off of a couple weird seasons. Uh, an interesting offense and many ways you can go. Landry now in the picture. Talk to us about Mike Thomas and anything else you want to add uh, with the Saints offense. Yeah, I think with Thomas, I mean, what did I get him? Wide receiver 39, wide receiver 40, something like that. I think that's just a, sh- again, that's just a sheer bet on, you know, with Watson, Thomas, and Julio, those were picks to where, if things break right with their situations, they will be worth way more than where they're going. And in a tournament where I'm trying, I could honestly care less in pros versus Joe's. I think if you win your league, you do get a main event entry. So that'd be cool. You know, if you win your one individual league, but outside of that, if I finish fifth or 75th, it, I don't really care. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a, it, it's a winner take all type of tourney. Ex- exactly. Like yeah. barring that I am in position to win my league, that's what I'll root for. But other than that, it's just who finishes first out of 84 teams. So I figure I built in a little bit of upside with Thomas Watson and Julio, just in terms of like, if there's anything, I mean, we may get the Watson news before all the pros versus Joe's drafts are gone. And if he only gets a four game suspension, he's probably going higher than, Derek Carr and maybe Tom Brady, you know what I mean? Maybe Trey Lance. Like I could see him going up a couple rounds just simply for that. So, I mean, that that's another big swing that I took where his ADP could go up two or three rounds if he's only going to get like a four game suspension. Yeah. A lot of upside on your, your, even your early receivers with Williams, Marquise, you know, Devonte Smith, Tom, I, it's a, it's a nice build. Uh, talk to us quick about James Cook. Maybe the last guy we talk about, he's not someone I've been able to, uh, click the button on much. I just don't know how much he's going to have in that offense, especially with, uh, you know, the type of uh, quarterback Allen is, do you see him getting a significant role in 2022? Is that why you took him in the ninth? Yeah, actually my plan was to take James cook and Naheem Hines and not Madison. Uh, I actually wanted to take Hines, but he went off the board a little bit earlier than I, I had anticipated. Uh, he went before I took Madison. That's who I was going to yeah. target. Uh, with that pick. And that was just a bet that, you know, (laughs) I have Evan Silva earlier in that round. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and he was, uh, he was one of those targets where I'm going, okay, I can take him a couple spots higher than ADP. And he's essentially my weekly insurance for the two shots that I took at trying to hit on the high warp running backs early on. So cook and Hines were two targets that I was looking at for that specific reason. And I just got sniped. So that, that would be the, maybe the one pick I regret, honestly is the, the Madison pick. You know, I think it is suboptimal to to handcuff a running back in this format. I mean, I could have probably taken, you know, somebody like, I could have taken Kenneth Gainwell who went right after him. You know, Michael Carter, you know, something like that. I might've been able to go in a different direction and kind of achieve the same thing. So that'd be the one pick that I look back on and go, you know what? There, there's going to be some weeks, JD, where I wish I had that extra bullet at running back that could give me 12 points, you know? And yeah. Madison's probably not going to do that if Cook is doing what I want. Theo has that one rule where he says, uh, you know, if it's at least 10 rounds, it's okay to take, take the handcuffs. So you, you almost made it. Your, your ninth rounds uh, separated there between Madison and where you got cook. Yep. Yep. All right. This has been awesome. And we're, we're at 90. I could honestly just keep going 
keep going all night. One last question just to close this out and then just remind the peeps where they can get all your goodness. Um, anything surprise you in this draft? You're drafting at some sharks. It's a best ball redraft. You've obviously got the roster construction down, but anything surprise you with, uh, you know, whether it was a specific player or a specific build uh, or the flow of, of this draft just overall? Um, you know, I, I probably would have had more comments on that last night when I was in the midst of it. Okay. I, I think generally the, the, the one thing that surprises me a little bit is I don't know if everyone else probably comes into the draft with as, and maybe this is just more prudent because I was drafting in the 12 spot, but it, it just feels like I'm, I'm sitting there watching the board. Cause I don't really watch the draft room except for when I'm making my picks. I have the board on a big screen in front of me, like on another yep. monitor and I'm watching the board and I'm trying to study what the other teams are doing. And I'm trying to sit there and go, okay, that makes sense with their build. You know, that makes sense what they have through five rounds. Like this is kind of what they're strategically trying to plan for overall roster construction wise. Then it feels like you get to that point where you're about halfway through the draft and there's some unpredictable picks. You know what I mean? You have a team that already has achieved like maybe their anchor RB build and they have four running backs through nine rounds. You know, why are they taking two or three more backup running backs in these later rounds when really they're probably going to need to go more, you know, they probably needed to roster 10 receivers instead of seven. You know what I mean? Like it's just, you look at some of the teams and I go, and I'm not even going to pick out anybody specifically, but it seems like this is a theme in a lot of drafts that we do. You look at one or two teams after the draft and you go, they might hit on all the players but their, their roster construction it just could destroy them. You know, the way they built their team, uh, one, one, I'll leave it with this. This doesn't apply to pros versus Joes, but I, I got a rude awakening by this a couple years ago in high stakes. If you're going to go early running backs, right? Like you're one of those teams that takes three early running backs in the first four or five rounds. It isn't necessarily that you're going against the grain, right? You're going against like kind of a fragile build, you're going heavy RB. You're probably sitting there going, oh, I can flex my third running back, yet we get to midseason and you're going, my running back room is destroyed. You know what I mean? Like that happens. The biggest thing I learned was the psychology of drafting that way. If I build a team like in a main event where we take three running backs in the first five rounds, what that does, the ripple effect that has on the rest of the season, 2020, we missed out on so many waiver wire running backs for the, through the first couple weeks, because psychologically we were going, wow. dude, we got a strong running back room mm -hmm. when really we, we didn't have a strong running back room from like a warp standpoint or an upside standpoint. We had like David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs. And we're sitting there going like, okay, we got those guys. We don't need to pick up James Robinson, but really James Robinson had just as high of a ceiling or higher ceiling than those guys did. But we're, we were out on really playing defense even in our bids. We were going, oh, we're managing 60 high-stakes teams. 30 of them, we don't even need to bother bidding on James Robinson. Because psychologically, we were strong at running back. We were figuring we needed to blow all our money later on a tight end or on a rookie receiver that hits. So it cost us. And I think that's a big thing to learn when you're doing like waiver leagues too is don't get caught up in your strength and then fade that in the first half of the season. Cause FFPC is a, what is it? It's a basically 11 week regular season, right? Yeah. Like if you, if you don't make your big moves when they're there, you kind of just end up at the end of the year. You're going, Oh man, I'm in week eight and I got, you know, 784 fab dollars. 
What do I spend it on? So I think that's a big thing is, is don't get bought into how you drafted and let that impact some of the moves you make, even in week one or week two. Well, I, I think there's also a component of self-awareness, right? I think in all aspects of life, self-awareness is a key. And, and if you're not honest with yourself about your roster, A, and B, there's, a, there's something to be said about strengthening a strength, right? There, there's nothing wrong with that. We see it in drafts and like, you, you know, yes, great maybe point. so, and again, you talk about the ripple effect it'll have on the other owners in the league. So a lot of, a lot of things to think about, like I said, Scott, I could, I could go on and on with you, uh, had a great conversation with you guys go check out at Charles chill FFB. Awesome. Follow. Uh, you heard all the goodness dynasty Debbie, uh, uh or destination Debbie DLF football, uh, trade. Is it trade is in fives? Yeah, it's at trades in five. It's a, it's a YouTube channel. We live stream every Saturday night, just literally firing off dynasty trades for an hour. So it's pro probably more of the informal awesome. entertaining stuff. So yeah, check that out. Sounds, sounds awesome guys. Go check that out. Uh, FFPC guys, my Again, if you're not on the site already, we'll hook you up with a sign up bonus. Just tag us at goat district or email me at or goat district at Gmail with your email address, your username on the site. And we'll hook you up with that bonus underdog. Use the code district again, guys, you could play for up to $2 million right now with a $25 entry. No brainer, uh, Viridian global, get your go gear. Shout out to our boy, Tommy. Uh, Moose on a Hill at most Moose on a Hill sent us these hats. I know Theo got one. Um, just a good dude. I told him I'd wear it on the show. So I'm rocking that. I've got my SFB gear, even though I wasn't in the Toronto division because I signed up for the Ontario CA, which Scott told me was Ontario, Canada, but was, was clearly Ontario, California. So we've got some Canadians and some Americans in there, but just a great bunch. Shout out to Scott, uh, for that. And guys, we'll be back next week. Full throttle. We might squeeze in a ball in uh, later this week, but we appreciate you guys hang with us. Help us get to 500 subs, guys. We're so close. Smash the like, smash the subscribe. That's the best way to show your support for the show. And uh, as usual, guys, VIP guests coming up next week, starting back next week at Charles Chill FFB. Make sure you follow and we'll check you all. District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy This my advice, from me to you Open up your cute little podcast queue Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude Pop it in your ear, man, y'all know what to do It's the And I always be traded And I always be traded And I always be traded Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them Fish